Well, hey, good morning. Great to see all of you, uh, and welcome to those of you who are watching online. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here and part of our preaching team. And uh, when we, as uh, leaders, get together, one of the things we often do is uh, just thank God for our country. We don't want to worship our nation, but we are really, really thankful for it. And we're especially thankful for uh, the men and women who have served our country. And so if that's you, if you're a veteran of the armed forces, would you stand for a moment? We'd like to recognize and honor you. Yeah. Yeah, we can keep going. Let's... uh, yeah, let's, let's thank the Lord uh, for those folks and for our country. Father, we do thank you uh, for the United States of America. Our, uh, our eternal home is with you in the kingdom of heaven. And God, in this kind of home away from home, uh, we pray for your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you for the freedoms and the opportunities that we have here. Um, and God, we thank you for the men and women who serve and who... Uh, Help all of us experience more freedom and more joy and more opportunity because of their service. So bless them, and God, would you bless this country? Would you lead our nation toward repentance and faith in Christ, that we would find our life in him? We pray it in his name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, happy Veterans Day. Hope, uh, hope you got honored by some people, and maybe I ran into uh, one guy that's part of the church who's a vet. He was just hitting all the free spots that was... <laughs> You know, he's like, I'm getting this and this. So, and that is more than deserved. So that's really pretty cool. Um, you know, we went to New York a couple weeks ago, my wife and I, and I've told you guys about that. And we got lots of recommendations before we went. Um, but there was one recommendation that was better than all of them, right? We got recommendations to restaurants and sites and all sorts of stuff. But the best recommendation we got was for a foot massage place that was about uh, two blocks from our hotel. And that was so valuable because we were walking every day like 11 or 12 miles around the city. And uh, somebody had recommended that. And I, you know, finally about three days in was like, where was that recommendation from Maggie? And we found that and oh man, it was like a lifesaver, got multiple foot massages. It was just this kind of like rejuvenating thing to help us to just be able to keep going. And uh, you know, it got me thinking about how, you know, if you're gonna visit New York for a week, you just need some foot massages. But if you're gonna live in New York, you need stronger feet, <laughs> right? Because the, the ongoing sort of testing of your endurance, you just need to, are gonna need to get stronger. And it makes me think about kind of this moment we're in, in our lives, in our culture, in our church, where there is a lot of trouble behind us and we might be tempted to think, well, there was trouble behind us. You know, 2020 was really hard but we're through it now. It was just like a week of trouble, but it's smooth sailing ahead, right? The choppy water's behind us, but from here, it'll be great. But, but is that the case? Have we had like a week of challenges or are we looking at a lifetime of challenges? Because if we were looking at a lifetime of challenges, then, then we're gonna have to get stronger. We're gonna have to have something that helps us keep going. And I think about all the stuff from last year and I want to go like, oh, that's just behind us. But if we're honest, we know it's not. A lot of you are facing challenges right now in your job, in your career. Right? Record numbers of Americans are rethinking their relationship to work. Lots of people are making job transitions and career changes. Maybe that's some of you. 
that you have all the different things going on economically now related to inflation and supply chain and better get your Christmas presents and cost goes out of toilet paper again. Right, and then you have all this stuff going on and just the challenges of parenting, right? Trying to raise kids and love kids well and guide them in truth and in grace and navigating the changes and teenage hormones and kids moving out and little kids that just want to make everything messy. Right, you've got relationship challenges, right? All these stresses that are kind of going on out there kind of reveal some of the cracks in some of our relationships. We've got lots of anxiety. We've got lots of just emotional health challenges, mental health challenges. There's just stuff going on in our personal lives. And then you kind of look at the broader culture and you go like, okay, last year it was COVID, race, politics. Good thing we're done dealing with those things. And I just got to tell you, I, I, I'm... I'm nervous. I'm nervous about, and I realize this is kind of a heavy way to start this thing, but, but if I can just be real with you here, like, I'm nervous about it. I went to our elders the other day and said, guys, there, there's some stuff on my heart here that I'm concerned about, right? This, a lot of us are kind of living like, hey, this COVID thing is just past us. It's in the past. But this, like, mandate, vaccine mandate, Lots of you are having to kind of wrestle through, what does that mean for me, my work, my career? And it's like a lot of the tensions that were kind of hypothetical are now getting more real. Right on the, on the race stuff, like there's two, there's two big trials right now that in at least some way the broader kind of world sees as race-related. I don't know that they both are, but one is, is Kyle Rittenhouse, the kid in... Wisconsin, the other is the guys in Georgia who killed Ahmaud Arbery. And we're right in the middle of those trials. And I don't know how those are going to go. You don't know how those are going to go. I'm not on the jury. I'm not sitting at home watching court TV all day. So I'm not following all of it really closely, but I'm following it close enough to go like, depending on how this goes, I mean, however it goes, tons of people are going to have an opinion. And they're all going to just keep it to themselves. Right, and I'm just thinking like, man, I could see the powder keg going off again. And some of you are like, well, I don't think about that because I quit watching the news. Now you're making me think about it. Well, congratulations on not watching the news. That was probably one of the best decisions you made this year. But yeah, I'm nervous. A lot of these things we kind of can't see coming. These ones are like, I kind of see some of this coming. And I'll tell you, like, for us as Redemption Gateway, because we don't live in Wisconsin, we don't live in Georgia, we don't live in Washington, D.C., we live here. And what I hope for us is that whatever happens, we will show in our reactions, in our words, that our allegiance to Jesus is our highest allegiance. And that what will hold us together, despite the varying viewpoints we might have on a lot of these things, is our commitment to Jesus. That's what holds us together, amen? And that's what I'm praying for, but that's also what makes me nervous. And when, when these difficult things hit, when troubles, just wave after wave of troubles come, whether it's personal or cultural or whatever, one option is just to kind of medicate your way through it. Right, okay, Netflix. I got the best news the other day that uh, I have YouTube TV. Hallmark 
is now on YouTube TV. Christmas movies have already begun. I'm in hog heaven, right? I can just, deli- I can just Christ- Hallmark Christmas movie my way through the troubles. That's medicating yourself, right? There's literal ways to medicate yourself with alcohol, with edibles. Just shop your way through it, right? Because Prime, I mean, they'll have it in two hours if you order right now, boop, boop, right? And there's just these ways that like we see this, we go, uh, what do I do? Uh, I don't know. And we, we just start kind of medicating ourselves. And, and my question is, what's going to help us actually endure through it? Because what I need and what I think you need and we need is we need soft hearts and we need steel spines. We need soft hearts because we do not want our hearts to get hard and cynical and jaded where we act like people are our enemy. Because the Bible says this, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, it's against the powers and principalities. And so we need soft hearts to love and care for people even who we deeply disagree with. And we need steel spines. We don't wanna be tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of cultural shift. We wanna be sturdy, we wanna be steady, we wanna be hopeful. We need soft hearts, we need steel spines. We can't just medicate our way through these troubles. And what Jesus is gonna help us see in this text today in John chapter 16 is that it's the Holy Spirit that he gives us that is the one who gives us soft hearts and steel spines. He is the one who strengthens us to keep going in our mission to the world and to keep being faithful to Jesus. It's the Spirit of God who will give us not just the kind of short, temporary foot massage kind of relief, but who actually strengthen our muscles and our bones so that we can be faithful to Christ in the midst of the trouble. Isn't that what we want? So let's pray. Let's pray about these things and let's ask God to meet us in in the word here. Father, the psalmist says, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. What can man do to me? And God, you are the strength of our hearts and our portion forever. And so we come to you with these concerns. God's the personal concerns and the personal challenges we're facing in our relationships and our marriages and our families and our workplaces. God, we bring that to you and we ask you to strengthen us by your spirit. God, we bring to you these larger societal things that we have no control over but that, that scare us. And God, I pray that you would give your spirit to us so that us as your church would be faithful to you that regardless of how we interpret the specifics of these events that we would hold together, that our allegiance and our unity would come from Christ. God, I pray for us now as we look at your word and I pray that you would use your word to help us to see why we need you and what you do by the Spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna look at a couple ways that the Spirit gives us soft hearts and steel spines, but first we need to talk about why Jesus feels like we need the Spirit. 
From Jesus' perspective, why do we need the Holy Spirit? So just to kind of situate ourselves here, we're studying John 16, the first part of it today, but this is part of this broader, uh, kind of bigger section of scripture that goes John 13 to John 16. Uh, Theologians call it the upper room discourse. It's sort of the conversation that's happening during the Last Supper. And it's written by John, who was one of Jesus' closest disciples. He was an eyewitness to these events. He heard the things Jesus says, and he's recording them for us so that we have a sense of the heart of Jesus as he's about to go to the cross. What was he thinking? What was he doing? These guys, these disciples, they'd spent three years with Jesus. He'd been teaching. He'd been showing them the kingdom of God. He'd been illustrating what it looks like when heaven meets earth, doing signs, doing wonders, teaching. And now it's getting close to the end. And he's preparing them. He's saying, you're going to go into a world that has trouble, and here's how I want you to be faithful in it. So just to kind of understand an an overview, I guess, 13 to 16. Chapter 13 was where Jesus says, here's the thing I want you to do, disciples. Here's what I want you to do as you go into this world of trouble. Love one another. And specifically, love one another the way I've just loved you. And what Jesus does to show his love is he takes on a towel. And even though he's the highest ranking person in the room, not only is he their rabbi on earth, but he is the Lord of all the earth. And the Lord of all the earth humbles himself and puts on a towel and stoops and serves and washes their feet. And Jesus says, that's what I want you to do is love like this. Now, Have any of you tried to love unconditionally and sacrificially? Easy or hard? (laughs) Really hard, right? Like, it's pretty easy to love those who love you. It's pretty easy to do something nice for someone that's going to do something nice in return. This kind of transactional love, that's not that hard. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to sacrificial love. Well, that's really hard. You're going to need some help. And so in chapter 14, Jesus encourages them and says, here's what I'm doing to give you some encouragement in this world of trouble. There's kind of two parts. The first part of 14, uh, what he does is he says, I'm going, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise, and I'm going to go to the Father, and I'm going to prepare a place with God for you. In my Father's house, there's many rooms, and your name is on one of those rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you with God. But in the second part of chapter 14, what he says is, and not only that, I'm going to prepare a place with God in you. And that's where he introduces this idea of the Holy Spirit, the helper, the advocate, the comforter, who's going to come and is going to make a home with the disciples. And that leads us to chapter 15. And in chapter 15, Jesus is saying, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me, stay connected to me, remain in me, because apart from me, you can do nothing. And stay close, love one another, stay in my love. Don't drift. That's hard to not drift. It's hard to keep loving, it's hard to keep trusting. And it's especially hard because at the end of chapter 15, what he says is, Oh, and by the way, the world's going to hate you. They hate me, they're gonna hate you. A servant's not greater than their master. You're my servants, I'm the master. They hate me, they'll hate you. And and sometimes we forget this. We think like, man, if I could just be more like Jesus, then people wouldn't hate me. Well, Jesus was really good at being like Jesus. He was really Jesus-y. And they still hated him. Seth talked a lot about that last week. And so it's, it's in light of that that we get to chapter 16, 
And at the beginning of chapter 16, he says, hey, the, the time's coming, the hour's coming when whoever kills you, this is the extreme kind of uh, hatred, will think he's offering service to God. And they'll do these things because they haven't known the Father nor me. So Jesus is calling us to love, he's calling us to remain, but it's really hard to do those things. So how do we keep going in the midst of that trouble? We need the Spirit. That's why he says in verse seven, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now I know, listen, I know this is heavy. I know this is serious. Some of you are like, Where'd, where'd Caleb Luke go, who's so positive and encouraging, and I, I just wanted to feel better today, and now you got me worried about all this stuff. Uh, he's in there somewhere, that Caleb Luke. But, but we, we've got to be real, don't we? Some of you guys know the, the Admiral James Stockdale. He was a POW in Vietnam for seven and a half years. Because he was so high-ranking, he was so extremely tortured. He was seven and a half years. And uh, he was interviewed afterward. And somebody asked him, you know, who, was there any kind of trends you saw in the kinds of people who couldn't endure it? And he said, oh yeah, that's easy. Those were the optimists. You go, what? Because if you're like me, you go, well, wouldn't the optimists have the best chance of making it? And he's talking about kind of this blind optimism that doesn't face reality. Because what he said is, those kind of people would just say, oh, well, we'll be out by Thanksgiving. Oh, well, we'll be out by Christmas. Oh, well, we'll be out by Easter. And when all those things came and went and nothing had gone well, they gave up hope. And so we're not trying to make us optimistic. We're trying to make us full of faith. And faith is realistic. And in this world, we will have trouble. But our hope is not in our optimism, it's in Christ. And we are reminded of that hope in Christ by the Spirit. So Jesus tells us two different ways that the, the, the Spirit will work. And I think both of these are, are things the Spirit does to help us endure, to give us soft hearts and steel spines. The first one is this, is the Spirit will convict the world about Jesus. We wanna be faithful, we wanna tell the world about Jesus, and what Jesus says here is, the Spirit's the one that's gonna do the convincing. Uh, verse eight, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This word convict, it's, it's a Greek word used 18 times in the New Testament. It means to bring to light, to expose, to convince. It's kind of has it with the, the idea, not of like a prosecutor thundering away to convict, but more of something, just so, someone sort of bringing something to light that once you see it the way things really are, you kind of go, ooh, that's not good. That's what the Spirit does. It is not, get this, it is not our job to convict the world. It's not our job to expose the world. It's not our job to convince the world. Our job is to testify to Jesus and to let the Spirit of God do what only he can do. That's one of my prayers almost every week before I get up to preach is, God, would you do what only you can do? And I'm gonna study hard and I'm gonna think hard and I'm gonna try to speak clearly, I'm gonna try to speak persuasively, I'm gonna try to speak authentically from the heart, but God, none of that will matter if you, by the Spirit, don't show up. And this is what Jesus is saying is, he will. 
He will, he's gonna show up. This is what the Spirit does. He convicts the world specifically concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Commentator Leslie Newbegin, he says this about this verse. He says, sin, righteousness, judgment. These three related words stand for something which belongs to the universal stock of human ideas. All people everywhere have ideas of right and wrong, and all people draw the line somewhere to mark off and to judge what has to be condemned. What Newbegin's saying is, hey, when Jesus says sin, righteousness, judgment, Everyone, religious or irreligious, Christian, non-Christian, has some sense of, well, here's what sin would be, here's what righteousness is, and here's what judgment is. And what Jesus is saying is, the Spirit is gonna come and expose the truth about what it is. We think we know. Apart from Jesus, we think we're on some kind of path. But the Spirit comes in and says, you're not even close, right? This, I was at Santan Flat uh, last night with some family from out of town, and you know, that's where you take them, and there was a million people there, and it was really fun. There was this live band playing, and they were pretty good, and it got me thinking, I wonder who the best, wonder who the best country singer in Queen Creek is. I just imagine the best country singer in Queen Creek saying, you know, I'm going to go to Nashville, and they fly to Nashville, and what they find when they get off the plane in Nashville at 1.45 in the afternoon is that they're not as good as the musician playing in the airport at 1.45 in the afternoon in Nashville, right? It's like the standard's just not even close, right? Like you thought you were good in Queen Creek, but in Nashville, the worst people are better than you. Here's, here's, this is what he's saying, right? You think you have a standard of sin and judgment and righteousness, but the Spirit has a much higher standard and the Spirit's the one that's gonna make it known. So let's look at what these are. Verse nine says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. I think it'd be hard to pin down to some degree uh, what different parts of culture in the world think of as sin, probably a largely ignored concept. But what Jesus says is when the Spirit comes, he's gonna say, here's the root of sin. It's not believing in him. The root of sin is unbelief. It's distrust. It's, did God really say? Can you really count on him? That's the root of unbelief. That's the root of sin. The biggest problem in the world is not education, it's not technology, it's not people's upbringing, all of those have real issues. The biggest problem in the world, according to the Jesus and the Spirit, is unbelief in Jesus. Well, he's also gonna convict in relation to righteousness. Verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Uh, th this is a verse that has been, honestly, uh, at the beginning of studying it was pretty confusing to me because I would sort of imagine that if Jesus said, hey, the Spirit's gonna convict people related to righteousness, that he would say, he'll convict the sin in related to righteousness because they're not very righteous. That's just what I would expect it to say, but that's not what it says. It says, he'll convict concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Uh, okay, what does that mean? Right, what Jesus is saying, he's saying, I'm about to die on the cross, I'm gonna be buried, I'm gonna be raised, and I'm gonna ascend to the Father. And that is gonna show the world something about righteousness. You go, well, what? 
And as I've studied through it, I, th th this is my best attempt to understand what, what Jesus is saying, is we all have some sense that we're righteous, that we're good, that, that right, we kind of all have this idea of like, well, I, I deserve to live forever because I'm a good person. Right? And we would go, well, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm better than them. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. And, and we all think we're really righteous. But here's how we know we're not righteous. Because we die and we're buried. And that's it. But Jesus died and was buried and rose and ascended. And so that shows that actually there's only one truly righteous person and it's Jesus. So when Jesus says that I'm going to go to the Father, you'll see me no longer. He's saying, listen, the Holy Spirit is gonna take my death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and show the world Jesus is the definition of righteousness, not you. So that's what the Spirit does. He convicts us of sin. He convicts related to righteousness. Verse 11, he convicts related to judgment, concerning judgment. Why? Because the ruler of this world is judged. The irony of the crucifixion of Jesus that's moments away in this story. The irony of it is when Jesus is judged and put on a cross, it's actually not a judgment of him. It's a judgment of humanity. We are so rotten, evil, sinful, distorted, twisted, that when God himself shows up, we say crucify him. And we condemn Jesus, and the world judges Jesus, and in so doing is actually showing that they're judged. That this work of Satan that looks like Satan's victory is actually his defeat. And so the Spirit's gonna come and say, hey, the ruler of the world is judged. He's judged on the cross. He's judged through this moment. It is through this cross, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus that you see that he's worth believing in, that he's the standard of justice, that he's the standard of righteousness, that he will judge. Right, our, our, our understanding is just, it's just all goofy. My college baseball coach, uh, his name was Itch Jones, I remember one time we were kind of working on this one drill and he came to me and he said, hey Luke, come here. He said, uh, Luke, I just want you to know, uh, as we're doing that drill, you ran it 100% wrong. 100%, 100% wrong. And I'm thinking to myself like, it was like not that bad. Like I, I know I, it was, I didn't do exactly right, but no, 100% wrong. And, and, and I think that's a little bit of what's going on with the spirit. Because we're gonna go, well, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm not. And the Spirit's going, no, you're doing this 100% wrong. <laughs> and, and now why does the Spirit do this? Is the Spirit trying to condemn the world and dunk on the world, own the world, mic drop on the world, booyah, sin, righteousness, judgment, you stink, right? Is that what he's trying to do? No, he's tr trying to bring condemnation. He's trying to bring life. Jesus said in John, right, we, we know John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but would have everlasting life. Do you know what John 3, 17 says? Jesus says, for I did not come into the world to condemn the world, 
but to save it. And that's what the Spirit of God is trying to do, is to save the world, to bring not condemnation, but conviction, to expose, to illuminate, to help the world go, wow, we've, we've got it 100% wrong. We need Jesus. This is why I think in verse seven, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. You go, what? Wouldn't it be better to have Jesus with us? And Jesus says, no, it'd be better that I'm not here and the Spirit is. Why? Because the Spirit is everywhere. Jesus is saying, I'm embodied. I'm here in this moment, in this room right now. But the Spirit's everywhere. Think about this. Before the Spirit of God came, millions of people ignored Jesus. Since the Spirit of God came, billions of people trust and follow Jesus. Why? Because the Spirit brings conviction. Now, the question that I want to ask is, okay, so how does that give us soft hearts and steel spines? If the, if the Spirit's trying to help us endure, help us keep going, how does that help? Well, it gives us soft hearts because we, if we stop and think about it, we go, you know what? I used to be 100% wrong. I didn't understand sin, righteousness, judgment. I was way off. I didn't trust Jesus. And I needed the Spirit of God to open my heart and to open my eyes. And it's not like I went from being totally wrong to being totally right. There's still things I'm confused about. There's still things I misunderstand. There's still sin in my life. And oh my goodness, I need the Spirit, just like the world needs the Spirit. And so it gives us soft hearts of compassion toward people who are in the exact same spot that we are or that we used to be. But this also gives us steel spines. Gives us conviction. Gives us courage. Why? Because if the Spirit is going to convict the world that it's wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, then what that means is not that Jesus is on the right side of history, it's that Jesus is the right side of history. He is. Right, this is, you just constantly are hearing that phrase, the right side of history, the right side of history, the right side of history, which is fundamentally a moral argument. It's an evaluation of sin and righteousness and judgment. And I'm fine with people making moral arguments. I just want to say Jesus is the right side of history. He's the one that defines it. And if Jesus is the one that defines it, then we don't need to be so afraid and so shaken. We can have some steel in our spine. The Spirit convicts the world about Jesus. Here's what else he does according to this passage is the Spirit will guide the church toward Jesus. So he, he's not just convicting the world out there, but he's guiding the church, he's guiding us toward Christ. And we need this, right? We, we, we need some instruction, we need some guidance, we need some like, here's how you do it. There was this dish that we had in New York, Cacio e Pepe, it's this really good uh, kind of uh, grown up Italian mac and cheese basically. And uh, I was like, man, I'd love to figure out how to do that. And so I found some recipes, and I'm trying to read them, and ah, this doesn't. So I go to YouTube. I can watch a four-minute video and go, oh, that's how you do it. Like, we can be told a lot of things. A lot of times what we need is someone to go, hey, let me show you how to do this. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that the Spirit is going to come, and he's going to show you what it looks like to live with me. Verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. That, that's exactly what Jesus said about himself. 
Jesus said, I don't speak on my own authority, but whatever I hear from the Father, I speak to you. He's saying that's what the Spirit's gonna do. The Spirit's gonna be guiding you into all truth. Verse 14, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What does the Spirit do for the church, for the disciples? He, he guides us into the truth. He takes what is Christ, he takes what Christ has heard from the Father and he declares it to us. This is what we need, otherwise we're walking around in the darkness. We need guidance, we need help. And so God gives us, his people, the Holy Spirit. Well, how does this work? How, do, how does the Spirit guide us and declare to us the truth? Well, there's, there's three ways. The first is through the scriptures. Think about this, Jesus is saying this to his disciples, to his apostles, a number of whom will be instrumental in hearing the Spirit's voice as they write scripture. So part of how the, the, the Holy Spirit will guide the church is through the rest of the Bible giving us revelation about what it looks like to follow Jesus in all sorts of different settings, and that's what we have in the New Testament. The second way that the Spirit guides the church into the truth is just in our own experience of, of what you would call spiritual breathing. I've talked about this before. This is the idea that we, we inhale the word of God and we exhale prayer. Inhale the word, exhale prayer. I think about the, the, the scriptures and the Holy Spirit being like these fighter pilots that are always going together. And once we veer off from the scriptures, we can't expect the spirit to stay with us. He goes where the scriptures go. And so we breathe in the scripture because that's breathed out by him. And then we breathe out prayer. And, and listen, I'm not, I'm not, this is not, I'm not advocating some deep breathing exercise. It's an illustration. But maybe deep breathing. Some of you look like you could use some deeper breaths just relax a little bit, you know. But we, we, we breathe in God's word, we breathe out in prayer. And the third way that, that the Spirit guides us into the truth is in the community of the Spirit, which is the church. L look at this, in verse 13, it says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. But that you here, it's not singular, it's plural. What it means is, when he comes, he will guide y'all into the truth. Listen, it's not just that you need to hear the voice of the Spirit and you need and you need and you need and individually you sort of have to figure out how to ruggedly go this alone, but the Spirit guides us in the community of the Spirit through the wisdom, through the instruction, through the experience, through the have you thought abouts. That's how the Spirit guides us toward Jesus. Well, how does that give us soft hearts and steel spines? Well, here's why. Because what the Spirit is always doing is guiding us where? Toward Jesus. And when you're guided toward Jesus, what you see is that he's the one with the soft heart and the steel spine. He's the one that's full of grace and truth. And so the Spirit guides us, and as we follow Jesus, and as we're centered on him, what we realize is we begin to grow an appreciation for and a, a following of the compassion of Christ. And as we're filled by the Spirit and we walk with him, we're filled with the conviction and courage of Christ. And listen, we're not gonna have it without the Spirit of God. We got no chance. 
And yet what Jesus is saying is the Spirit of God is coming and he is cheering and he is working to help you finish strong. I had a great conversation with a friend uh, this week. She was telling me about how in high school she used to run the 400 in track. And uh, she had this great family and this great relationship with her dad. And her dad did something that just, when she told me this, it was so moving to me. She said, you know, this 400's a grueling race. I mean, you're sprinting all the way around the track. It's really difficult. And she said her dad made this commitment that rather than standing at the finish line to cheer for her when she was done, he would always, when it was her turn to run, go down to the 300 line. And as she would go by, he'd whistle and he'd yell, you can do it. I'm with you. Finish strong. You know, he'd whistle. And he never got to see her cross the line. But he didn't care. Because he said, I want to help you finish strong. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's exactly what the Spirit does. He's the one going, look at Christ. Don't give up. Don't back down. Don't get cynical. Don't get weak. Finish strong. It's the Spirit who gives us what we need. It's the Spirit who helps us be faithful. It's the Spirit who helps us go, you know what? Even if the water ahead is as choppy as the water behind, we'll be okay because he's with us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the voice of the Spirit. Taking what he's heard from you and declaring it to us, cheering us on, giving us the ability to focus and remember Christ. God, we don't want to be blind optimists that just believe in the power of positive thinking. We want to be filled by the Spirit. And God, we want to have the strength to bear witness about Christ in a world that resists you. And we want to be able to live out the faithfulness of Christ, even with one another. God, as we live in this world that just tries to pull us apart at every turn, God, we want to be centered on Christ, bound together by Jesus, held together by the unity of the Spirit that comes through Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen.